0: reading today is on page 1180 of the Bibles beside you. That's page 1180, and it's taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: The second reading, gospel reading, is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, Verses 7 to 18, and this may be found on page 1029 of the Church Bible or on the screens behind me. Luke 3, verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, all of them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come with draughts of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you
2: very much for that reading. Can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open? I've just closed mine, actually. Uh, At 1029, which was that gospel reading. We're going to be digging into it in just a moment. Great privilege to be stepping in for Mike as he's not here, and so uh, we're carrying on in Luke chapter 3, which I kicked us off in last week. For those who may be new, I'm Jit, I'm the associate vicar here, and uh, before we dig in, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you might speak to us through it, that we might hear you, that we might believe your words and that they might bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin with a story. My family happens to be of Indian origin, and perhaps the most famous Indian in history is someone called Mahatma Gandhi. I'm sure everyone here has heard of him. And uh, he was instrumental in India's independent struggle, promoting non-violent resistance and... uh, His philosophy won the day, really, and made all the difference. And he's revered by most modern Indians. In fact, whenever I talk to my dad about just about any other topic, apart from a certain few, say cricket or what's on the TV or what he thinks of life, nearly every single conversation ends up with what Gandhi thought on cricket or what's on the TV or thoughts about life. Not quite, but nearly. He's revered as a modern-day saint in India. But what's less known, interestingly, is that as a young man, as a lawyer in South Africa, he was really passionately drawn to the person of Jesus Christ. He was reading the gospel accounts and reading about this Jesus and was amazed and wanted to find out more. And so he decided to go to a church. Now, unfortunately, you might have guessed that was a bad idea at that time. He got to this, the steps of the church and was met by one of the deacons. And one of the deacons said, you're not allowed in. You don't look the part. You have the wrong skin colour. Get out. And he said he, he never considered Christ again because of that. He later went, uh, once said this, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I wanted to begin with that because what we're looking at in this passage this morning is that great need for transformation, that Christian lives match up with Christian beliefs and not simply the culture around them. It was great to hear a word of testimony actually that there is a chance for people to experience the exact opposite, but sadly too often what they experience is something akin to what Gandhi did or many others have. But Christian lives haven't matched up with Christian beliefs and there's great need for transformation. In our passage, John is baptising and there's a zoom in into various groups that are coming to him for baptism. And they're doing the right thing, the nice religious thing. But John has some very harsh words for them. He says, verse 7, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Those are tough words. Vipers, snakes were cursed animals in Jewish thought. Calling, you, calling someone a child of a snake was one of the worst insults possible. Definitely woke them up. It woke them up. And then he gives the reason. Verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Key words for us this morning. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. They were doing the right thing religiously, coming for baptism, but their lives showed Actually, it's not bearing fruit. There's no difference. It's just an external thing. There's no transformation. God has made no difference in your life. It's fake and it's hollow, and it needs to change. And He says to them, "Don't be complacent about what you've got in the background. You've got Abraham as your father. Great. Well, God can get, can raise children out of Abraham, out of the very stones you're standing on." And actually there's someone around the corner who's got the axe in his hand who's going to cut down every tree that does not bear fruit. So get yourself sorted. Change your lives. Be transformed. These are tough words, challenging words from John the Baptist, but therefore today as well, let me suggest, not just for them. As we're hearing just a moment ago, in the modern day, this has been gotten wrong. God's people's lives not matching up to their beliefs, but instead matching up to culture. They look no different, camouflaged into the masses of others and people. In a recent study by the Barna Group of American Christianity, they did a, a study of the entire United States and the Christian scene. And they found that there was no tangible statistical difference between Christians Christians and non-Christians in the way that they live their life. Divorce divorce rates were about the same. How they spent their money, about the same. Lifestyle choices were about the same. There's no tangible difference. The Christians just look like the culture around them. Their beliefs hadn't made the difference in their lives that they should have. And before you say, well, that's in America, do you think the situation is so much different here? I wonder. Mick Jagger of the uh, Rolling Stones once said, a British musician once said, you call yourself a Christian, I call you a hypocrite. He'd met Christians here and he'd made his own conclusion. sadly. I think it's very personal. As I've been saying this, it's convicted me, really. I wonder wonder for you if you in your family or your workplace hadn't made known at some point that you are a Christian, would they be able to tell by just the way you, that you live your life? Would they be able to tell that you were different, that you were a Christian just by the way that you lived differently because of what you believed? Changing questions. I know if it wasn't for perhaps the dog collar, it might not be for me, but I think people could often tell with me. We desperately have a need as Christians to be transformed by our Saviour, that what we might rightly represent him, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And the great news in our passage is that John the Baptist not only convicts us of this stuff, but actually gives us means of transformation, how we can actually change in our lives. And there are two ones that I want to cover very briefly this morning. And the first one is this, to be outwardly transformed by doing differently. Verse 11, going back to the text. The crowd's ask him, what then shall we do? And he says, well, if you've got any extra food, share it. If you've got extra clothes, share that as well. And then the tax collectors come to him and say, what then shall we do? They're all convicted by this. What should we do? And tax collectors back then were known for collecting a bit more tax than was needed, let's just say. And getting personally quite rich off it. And John says to them, Oh, just collect only what you're needed, what's needed, no more than that. Don't get rich off your job. And then the soldiers come to him, and it's fascinating, some of these might have been Roman soldiers even. And they come to him and say, What then shall we do? And he says to them, Stop using your power for your own wealth and glory. Don't extort people, don't lie about people as a way of getting into people's graces do your job, nothing more, nothing less. And no doubt there are many other groups that came to John the Baptist, and the answer would have been the same every single time. Not the religious answer of pray more or give more or do whatever you want to do more in the temple. Actually, the answer was act differently. Now, immediately, don't put it off. Of course, for the people of the time, they knew this. This was ingrained into their culture. A, couple of century, a few centuries beforehand, the prophet Micah, you'll know rhetorically, asked, what then does the Lord God require of you? And the answer is to do justly, love mercy and walk humbly with the Lord your God. It's that simple. It's that simple to act with those attributes of God, to burn as a witness for him, to be different, to choose to do it, there and there, not putting it off. And John the Baptist is very direct here. He's not saying, wait for some heavenly thunderbolt or some amazing encounter with God to change you. He's saying, do it now. Do it now. And these are words for us. If you know something needs to change, do it now, today. There's no better time. Do it now. It's interesting that the first generation of Christians, so inspired by Christ's example and how amazing he is, we'll be thinking about that this evening, they decided to act differently. And as a result, actually, the whole Roman Empire, within a few centuries, bowed the knee to Christ because of that witness. have got various stories of how they actually chose, very practically, to be different. One of my favourites is that they were the first to adopt abandoned babies. In that society, uh, males were... Prioritised over females and so female babies unfortunately were often dumped in the rubbish dump outside cities early in the morning because they were not wanted and what used to happen was that pimps would go to those rubbish dumps and get those female babies and raise them to be prostitutes and the Christians knowing this actually said what we're going to do is we're going to get up earlier in the morning and beat them there And they're going to be our daughters, and we're going to raise them with new life and hope. It made a difference. A couple of centuries later, the Emperor Hadrian was wondering, who are these Christians that I'm hearing about, such amazing things? And he sends someone called Aristides, a Roman lawyer, to find out about Christians. What do they do? What are they like? And we've got a report of what he says back, and he sent this back to the Emperor. Christians love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If a man has something, he gives freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, Christians take him home and are happy as though he were a real brother. If they hear that one of them is in jail or persecuted for professing the name of their redeemer, they all give him what he needs. If it is possible, they bail him out. If one of them is poor... And there isn't enough food to go around. They fast several days to give him the food he needs. Every morning and every hour they thank and praise God for his loving kindness towards them. Because of them flows forth all the beauty that there is in the world. But the good deeds that they do, they do not proclaim in the ears of the multitude. But they take care that no one shall perceive them. This is really a new kind of person. There is something divine in them. Can you imagine the newspapers today writing that about us? How I long, how we long for that. There's something different about them, there's something divine in them. God exists because look at them, they're acting so differently. Well that's the first way that John the Baptist suggests that we can be transformed by choosing very simply to act differently. The second way is a deeper way. He points to Christ and says, there's another chance, there's another way, and that's an inward transformation from the heart. Moving on in our passage, the people are wondering, is John the Messiah, the Christ? I mean, he's talking about repentance and salvation and coming judgment. That sounds like the kind of things the Messiah would talk about. Is it him? And he makes it very clear, no, I'm not the Christ. But then he starts talking about the Christ who is to come very shortly and says this, Verse 16, I baptise you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not unworthy to untie. I am unworthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's saying Jesus, when he comes, is more powerful than me. I've been baptising you with water, an outward symbol of washing and cleansing, but he's going to baptise you on the inside with the Holy Spirit and fire and when that comes that's going to sort out the wheat from the child that's going to delineate people the true people of god from the fake people of god and it's your choice here and now how are you going to respond to him the holy spirit that he baptized with god's own presence inside of us changing us making us holy the clues in the name the holy spirit and his fire the fire that burns up impurities gets rid of the dross, the stuff that we can't get rid of, he does in his fire. And John the Baptist says he's coming, and he's going to really transform your lives from the inside out, changing your hearts, changing your lives to look more like his. And, of course, this is exactly what had been predicted for them as God's people, what they'd longed for. You might remember these words from Ezekiel 36. But God promises this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to keep my laws. God promises that that's what he's going to do. He's going to change us from the inside out. And this was always what was needed. You see, choosing to act differently on the outside isn't enough. You'll get tired of that eventually. Or actually, you'll just become religious and condemning and you'll feel never able to change. God promises something much more powerful. The evangelist Billy Graham famously said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. What God promises is to form open-heart surgery. Changes by the power of his spirit i don't know if you've um read the voyage of the dawn trader by c.s Lewis. a huh? moving story and in it there's a, a, a precocious brat called eustace you know everyone remember him if you've seen the film or read the book and he's absorbed by some dragon's treasure and he sees it and he wants some he he puts on an amulet or a bracelet i think it is And as soon as he puts it on, unfortunately, he's turned into a dragon himself. And whatever he does, he can't get rid of this dragon skin. He tries to peel it off with his own claws and it doesn't come off. He tries to rub against a cliffside, it's not coming off. He tries to dive into some water thinking it will wash off. Nothing's happening. He can't get back to the way he was. Nothing's transforming him back until eventually he gets to the end of himself And there he looks up, and you remember who he sees. He sees Aslan, the great lion, standing before him. And let me read what happens next. You will have to let me undress you, Aslan said. And Yusuf says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began peeling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly-looking than the others had been. And there was I, a smooth, And as soft as a peeled peach, and much smaller than I had been, i turned into a boy again. Sadly, after whatever we try, no matter how hard we try, we can't change our hearts. There's too much hardness there, the result of the fall and our own sin. We just can't do it. But Christ can. Christ can. He can change us. It might hurt; (laughs) those claws as they go in might really hurt. But it's so that we might be restored to the way we're supposed to be, to become the creations we were always created to be, to reflect His honour and glory. And applying this for us today, the way to do that very simply is to let Him, to spend time with Him, let it, let Him do it in His presence, through His Word and the power of His Spirit. Martin Luther gave a picture of uh, an iron brand that if you, st- if you put it in the fire, it seems to transform before your very eyes, glowing red. But as soon as you take it out, well, it loses that transformed property. The fire's properties quickly die away and it goes back to the way it used to. And so it is with us. We do actually need to spend time in God's fire, in his refining fire, in his presence, letting him do his work. He can do it. Even if we can't, he can do it. He can change us. He can change our hearts. Well, I've got to end. Um, let me end with one last story. So I've been saying a lot, telling a lot of stories today. I started with a story of someone that was very much put off by an unchanged Christian life. But I want to end with what the possibility is if our lives are changed, the witness they can be. Tom Tarrants is the name of a former notorious member of the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan in America from Mississippi. And in the 50s and 60s, he was infamous across the country for a series of bombings in Jewish synagogues where he killed a number of people. He was labelled by the FBI as a mad dog killer. They just didn't know what to do. Eventually, the FBI caught him. And he was imprisoned for a number of decades into solitary confinement. And in solitary confinement, he began to read right-wing literature, things like Mein Kempf from Hitler and uh, worked the writings of Nietzsche and a, a few other right-wing people that kept his hatred fueled. But then eventually he got tired of that, and he started to read Greek philosophy. He got tired of that, and he started to read the Gospels. And there and then he met Christ. He said, This the light came on. I find myself knowing I needed the grace of God and forgiveness of my sin. For the first time, what Jesus did on the cross became really precious and personally important to me. His life was so transformed by Christ that he was given early release, and as soon as he did, he went back to the white knights of the Ku Klux Klan and actually started preaching Christ to them. He said this My radicalism is a reckless abandonment to Christ, obedience to Him, and a lifestyle of love for everyone, no matter what their colour. I'm far more radical now than I was as a Ku Klux Klan member. The FBI agent that arrested him, someone called um, Frank Watts, couldn't believe this, actually, when he heard about the fact that he'd come to Christ in prison. So he visited him in his prison cell before he was, just before he was released. And actually, as soon as he visited him, there and then, within an hour, he'd become a Christian. He said this, At that point, I knew in my heart there was such a thing as a born-again experience. It was as if the Lord said, Now do you believe it? Here it is. Here it is. That's the power of transformed life, what Jesus can do. May you do it in ours. May you do it in ours. Amen. Nobody invite to stand. We're going to pray together. Just close our eyes and ask the Lord to do these things in our lives. It's a very short moment of response. Lord, we're aware that there are things in our lives that need to change. We need them to change, Lord. And maybe in a moment's quiet, you just want to name those things, for oh God. Lord, I need this to change. I need the way that I speak there to change, how I react to that person. I need it to change, Lord. And today I choose to change, to be more like you. I make this decision. And Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, come and flood my life and change my heart. I give you full permission. Lord, the refiner's fire that would burn away the wrong things, replace them with the fruit of your Spirit. Change my heart, O God. Lead me in the way everlasting, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, can I invite you to have a seat? We're going to continue in our prayers with our intercessions.